Deep pattern downfield, touchdown Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins' official podcast network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? It is Friday. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, a little mock draft roundup and a pair of mocks from two of the best in the business that has Miami still cashing in on the compensation from the Laramie Tunzel trade back in 2019. Plus, over the last two years, the Dolphins have reshaped the interior defensive line with two draft picks and a waiver wire claim. We're talking Dolphins defensive tackles, Christian Wilkins, Raekwon Davis, and Zach Sealer. And we're going to welcome in a special guest with a connection to the latter of that group in Sealer. And I'll finish up by telling you which TV shows I'm watching now that football season is sadly in the rear view. All of that and more on this Friday, February the 12th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. So I think this is something that made the podcast pretty regularly this season, every Tuesday on the film review episodes of Drive Time. But I wanted to dig in on it a little bit here and talk about the value the Dolphins have in these three players at one particular position group, the interior defensive line. Now they are listed as defensive tackles for the Dolphins. I've seen them listed as defensive ends like Christian Wilkins and Zach Sealer, for instance, as DNs. But the truth is all three of these guys can play all across the line. You go back to 2019, first round draft pick, the first pick of the Flores and Greer regime here in Miami together was Christian Wilkins. Let's talk about him first. Actually, let's talk about the prototype first. Wilkins, 6 foot 4, 315 pounds. Davis, 6 foot 7, 330 pounds. Sealer, 6 foot 6, 297 pounds. And Devon Godshaw, 6 foot 3, 313 pounds. And, you know, Godshaw is scheduled to be an unrestricted free agent and he did get injured to finish the season, wound up, you know, not playing out the rest of the season this year. And I think it can be easy sometimes to forget players that aren't on the final end of the season roster. But Godshaw was such a reliable player for so long here in Miami and a guy that was consistent in his run defense and the way he ate up gaps. And like we talked about with Wilkins, took on those double teams as well. So even losing the most veteran, most seasoned member of that group, I loved how well this those top three guys played and the defensive line played as a whole without really the leader of the group last year in Devon Godshaw. And I wouldn't even say that they're matched in the prototype from a build standpoint and a skill standpoint, but what all three of them have is this, the versatility I mentioned to line up at pretty much any position you want them to. I can put each of those guys at the nose tackle and feel confident they can hold the point and anchor against a double team. They can execute a pass rush game, whether it's setting a pick on a pick stunt or coming around the edge as a looper from the inside out. They can push the pocket that kind of gels with that team pass rush, the schemed up pass rush where you have lane integrity and gap integrity and have guys that can push and reset the offensive line from those positions, whether it's the nose, whether it's the three, whether it's the five, whatever it might be, I have confidence all three of those guys can do those jobs from those positions. And together, this all works in perfect harmony 
with a linebacking core that, you guessed it, offers that same versatility when I can walk up a Jerome Baker, a Kyle Van Noy, an Andrew Van Ginkle into the A-gap. I can have them rush. I can have them loop. I can have them bail back into the hook zone and cover, be a coverage linebacker. I can have them fill in the running game. It all helps create this problem for the opposing offensive line to get their protection call made and identify who's coming and who's not coming. So, when I feel as though I've got three guys who really are interchangeable that kind of set the tone for that defense up front, I feel really good about that. I especially feel good about it from this standpoint. So back to drafting Christian in 2019, that puts him on a rookie middle of the first round draft pick contract that runs through 2022 with that fifth year option for 2023. The, the rookie contracts have that fifth year club option where you can exercise that and keep the player around for a fifth year if you do not have an extension agreement in place before them. And Raekwon Davis is entering year two of a rookie deal from the last part of the second round last year. So he's also signed as part of that rookie contract through 2023. So with the fifth year option with Davis, both those guys would be locked up through 2023. And then uh, Zach Sealer's extension has him signed through the 2023 season as well. So you've got two 25-year-olds and a 23-year-old, that's Raekwon Davis, signed for the foreseeable future that go such a long way in executing the defense that Flores and Boyer and company want to run and help dictate the game up front in the trenches. Now, from a budget allocation standpoint, if you go over to overthecap.com, they have a really cool page that looks at how each team's cap is allocated to different positions on the roster. And Miami's interior defensive line, which also includes guys like Benito Jones, for instance, it's not just these three players, it includes the entire group. According to overthecap.com, the Dolphins' interior line is the eighth cheapest in the National Football League with those three primary snap takers locked up for the foreseeable future. And once again, we're going to see how Godshaw's contract situation plays out this offseason if he's brought back or if he winds up somewhere else. But he does not factor into that salary inclusion for the eighth cheapest. So the Dolphins with Sealer, with Jones, with Davis, and with Wilkins have the eighth cheapest defensive line, interior defensive line in the NFL per overthecap.com. And we talk about trajectory on this podcast, and that's just it. All three of these guys are pretty damn green in terms of their NFL experience. A pair of 25-year-olds that, you know, are continuing their development, but both Sealer and Wilkins, they haven't played a ton of NFL snaps. We saw those incremental improvements just this last season. I talked about Raekwon Davis getting the big bump in the second half in terms of playing time and how that correlated with a bunch of fun metrics like run stops and, and run defensive grades on different sites really going, you know, through the roof for him at that position. And you just plug on the tape and it's easy to see that impact when you watch it. The way he's getting push and penetration when he's single blocked, destroying angles in the running game and shooting gaps that forces the running back to bubble or pick a different mesh point, pick a different launch point. And his ability to just hold the point against those power runs, against those double teams, he was awesome against the run when his workload really expanded in the second half of the season. And then Zach Sealer's playtime took a big jump. I think it was right around game three or so. And boy, the power, the hands, the grip strength, the ability to snatch an offensive lineman and shift the momentum. You might recall we had Brandon Thorne on the podcast, and he talked about the key to pass rushing is to get the offensive lineman to lean one way and then force him to get that momentum back the other direction. I watched Zach do this with those long arms, with the sheer strength and pass rush arsenal, and he can really give players fits one-on-one -on -one both against the run 
and against the pass. Then we've got Christian Wilkins, that explosive first step was something he always had at Clemson. He was really could get out of the stance and get upfield in a hurry. And as we watch him develop as a Dolphin, he just continues to add tools to his tool belt. I thought the way he anchored against doubles this year was awesome. Sometimes you'll see a defensive lineman, like in the interior, drop to one knee to hold those doubles because the job there is to not get moved off the spot. And he's really honed in on that technique. And I thought just become so sturdy as that kind of Guy that creates space for the players behind him. Kind of that thankless role that he plays so often on this defense. And it kind of reminds me, this collection of players, of something, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster said this before the playoff game in Cleveland, talking about gray faces. But I'm going in a, a kind of the antithesis of the direction that he went there. Talking about gray faces in terms of guys you can interchange in different positions ask them to do different things and get similar results regardless of how the lineup shakes out. That is an advantageous place to be, especially in such a crucial spot like up front on that defensive line. Moving on now, before we get to my guest today, I want to spend some time on a little bit of a mock draft roundup. It's that time of year again where we're going to get expert mock drafts coming out pretty much every single week from now up until draft day in April. It's draft season, baby. And we're looking at two of them from today that are similar in a big, big way. First, Todd McShay, ESPN, we all know who he is. Actually, let's go ahead and do this. The other draft is from Dane Brugler from The Athletic, who came on Drive Time last week and just killed it. If you haven't heard that interview yet, it was fantastic. Go back and download that, check that out, and check out his work on The Athletic. They both, in their latest mock drafts, have a trade being struck between Miami and Carolina. The Dolphins pick third, the Panthers pick eighth. Both the senior bowl coaching staffs, you know, coincidentally. And we saw the Panthers attached in some of the reports as teams in pursuit of Matthew Stafford and that trade from the Rams and the Lions. And now the correlating impact of that is that they are often in exercises like this, like a mock draft, are written in pencil as a team that might be aggressive pursuing another quarterback. So both Brugler and McShay have Miami trading from three down to the eighth pick with the Panthers. They both give the Dolphins the 2022 first round pick of the Panthers. McShay also sends over the 40th pick this year, while Brugler sends over the third and fifth rounder from the Panthers this year. So different compensation there for that trade up, but ultimately you wind up with the eighth pick in the draft and a future first round draft pick and more draft capital this season for the Panthers, whoever that team might be come up in this case, it is the Panthers in the mock draft to come up and get their quarterback. So Brugler goes with Devontae Smith at number eight, but he is gone on McShay's mock draft. So we go Jalen Waddle in that position and just really two fantastic prospects here that I can't say enough good things about personally. Devontae Smith, I mean, the way this guy angles and changes direction without deceleration to sink the hips, to run the routes with or without the football, to really attack leverage and understand where co coverage vulnerabilities all. He comes back to the football, attacks the football, has strong hands, long arms, can snatch that thing away from his frame, plays all over the formation. He is patient and smooth out of his release. We talk about him attacking leverage relentlessly. He understands the, in his tape, understands the way to force a defensive back to commit their hips in a certain direction. And you bend it back across their face and get them turned around. Every route looks the same. 
patient, smooth body control, super reliable hands. He varies those releases and paces up the stem. There's a comeback in the old Miss game where he generates five yards of separation on a curl with an inside release where he threatens the takeoff to the outside, gets the DB to commit to that outside, then slams on the brakes, catches the football, and then rips it off for 20 more yards after the catch. He is so polished and so much fun to watch. Now his teammate Jalen Waddle also have a chance to have scouted his tape so far in this draft process. Short area burst is the best in the class, alters pacing to sell defenders, eats up ground in a flash to erase cushion, squares up the defender, and then explodes out of that break. He gets himself into the position where it's the commitment point, right? The defensive back has to make his decision. The receiver has to make his decision. And at that point of the route, Waddle is so explosive off that next step, off that break, it causes hesitation. It causes defenders to get grabby and commit some penalties or just get beat. It creates urgency in defenders because of the suddenness to his game. He can stack defensive backs quickly, and man, it gets over from there quickly. Instant offense, he's a threat to score on vertical screens, double moves, etc., and the production for both those guys was just off the charts in their career there at Alabama. So those are the guys that Brugler and McShay have going with the eighth pick to the Dolphins after a trade down in their mock drafts. But the overarching theme and the overarching point of this is the value of that third pick. And I know it's outdated. We have to use that disclaimer every time we talk about it. But the Jimmy Johnson trade value draft chart, which I found on drafttech.com right now, they update that thing as well. It values that third pick at 2,220 points. For comparison's sake, that's 1,300 more points than the 18th pick, Miami's second first rounder. And by the time those picks drop into the second round, they're into the 500s for value. So 2,220 points tells you the value of that third pick. So you've got this basically invaluable resource to land either one of the draft's best prospects or to continue filling that future draft pick pipeline. Because in McShay's mock, where Miami gets next year's one and this year's two in addition to the eighth pick, and that number three overall pick that came from Houston originally, now that Laramie Tunzel slash Kenny Stills trade along with some day three capital kicked in there as well now has returned draft picks that turned into Noah Igbenogany, Solomon Kinley, the 8th pick this year, 36th pick this year, and 40th pick in this year's class. Or from a point value standpoint, using those three picks and two players, which is picks 8, 36, and 40, then pick 30 from last year for Igbo, and pick 111 last year for Kinley, that adds up to 3,132 draft chart points. And that's without mentioning Next year's Panthers first round pick, which if that goes in the top 10, that's another thousand points on top of that. And the higher that climbs, you guys know how quickly those point values jump at the top of the draft. So plenty of options to continue maximizing the value for that trade and stock future draft cupboards. And Brugler in his mock draft does it again at pick 18. He's got Pittsburgh coming up for Christian Derisaw from Virginia Tech, which if you haven't seen his tape, man, he's a lot of fun. Nasty finisher, great feet, really promising looking prospect there out of Virginia Tech. So the Dolphins go back to pick 24 and scoop up another third rounder and a sixth rounder. Then there, Miami selects Zaven Collins, a linebacker out of Tulsa. And I can't give you a report there yet because I haven't watched him beyond a couple of live broadcasts from this past fall, but he's billed as one of the most versatile players in the draft, an inside-outside rusher, built sturdy with fluid change of direction. Here's what the draft network has to say. 
about his ideal role, starting linebacker given opportunities to rush the passer, drop in coverage, play downhill and in space. Ideal scheme fit, Collins projects favorably to a defense that is multiple with its alignments that presents the opportunity for him to unleash the full breadth of his skill set. I mean, Dolphins defense is, is based upon versatility and the more you can do. So I, I like that that note there between Collins and the fit with Miami. Then we finish up moving back into the first round at pick 32 with a trade-up with the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers and come up from 36 to pick 32. It cost us a fourth rounder and a sixth rounder in this mock to get Clemson running back Travis Etienne. And Travis Etienne, I mean, this guy went back to college last year and really just continued to improve his game. I've got some notes here on some of the, the games I've watched. Electric, home run hitting speed, change of direction, acceleration, and ability to quickly find the hole. He gets from the mesh point to the hole so fast, finds that alley and does not leave yardage on the field, runs through arm tackles with balance and power, vastly improved his pass receiving skill set, dangerous on wheels against linebackers and safeties, and basically unguardable on the Texas route the arrow route where you angle out from the backfield wide and cut back across inside across linebackers faces he has power to run through initial contact after approaching leverage with a full head of steam he keeps his feet moving to push the pile in short yardage and goal line and the contested catch ability on broken plays and just beating guys in coverage is on tape as well so the pass game the run game pass protection he's a good looking player that way so that's Brugler's mock you wind up with Devontae Smith Zavin Collins excuse me, and Travis Etienne with three trades. You add a future first round draft pick, a 2021 second and third, and you used your fourth and sixth round pick to get back up there for Etienne. McShay finishes out his much more traditional mock draft here as the Dolphins go and get Jalen Waddle at pick eight after the trade down, then at pick 18 with Jalen Phillips, the defensive end from Miami with exceptional length and first, uh, first step explosiveness off that edge. All right, that's a fun exercise and a good way to help not only get to know the prospects that are going to be out there on draft day, but possible scenarios about maybe some where there are position clumps or position groups or teams that might find a specific spot attractive to come up and trade up for. Plenty of good reasons to do those exercises, and we're going to do plenty of those between now and April as experts pump out these mock drafts all draft season long. Now let's go ahead and get to my guest for today's podcast, the Friday, February 12th edition of the Drive Time Podcast, and talk to the father of Dolphins defensive tackle, Zach Sealer, Randy Sealer. And joining me now on the Drive Time Podcast is the father of Dolphins defensive tackle, Zach Sealer, Randy Sealer. Randy, I'm happy to get you in here and talk about your son a little bit today. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Travis. Thank you very much for having me. We're looking forward to doing this because, you know, I, I talked a little bit off air first about some of Zach's, I suppose, away from the football field interests. But I do want to start first here with a football question because, you know, news comes out during the season about players agreeing to contract extensions with their teams. And it kind of comes up out of nowhere as far as like the media is concerned. And, you know, we saw it come across. Zach did a press conference that day and everybody was super excited for him. The fans were excited because Zach has turned into a very nice piece here in Miami. I was curious, you know, when did you find out about the extension? Did he give you a call? And what was that phone call like? You know, I was uh, up north in Michigan. Uh, It was during deer season. And deer season in Michigan is kind of like a sacred time for us. <clears throat> he had given me a call and said, hey, are you going to be around later? And I was out in my blind, and I said, yeah, I'll be back at the cabin in about two hours. What's going on? In the world of the NFL, every time your son calls you and asks, hey, is something going, you know, going to be around? 
the first thing you do is your heart sinks and you think, <laughs> okay, where are we moving to next? Where are we, you know, what happened? Who got hurt? You know, all those types of things run through your head because <clears throat> we've been through it all from uh, draft day, even in high school to college to the NFL. So, you know, so the, you know, my stomach's in knots and I got back to the cabin and he, and he called me and he said, Hey, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm waiting for you to call me. What's going on? He said, well, I signed my, my contract extension. I said, you signed your what? Cause he had not mentioned anything to me about <laughs> it. He He's kind of a kid that he doesn't like, like it's gotta be official before you'll say anything to anybody. He's real humble. He's real, uh, plays his cards close to his chest. And then we just kind of talked about it and, you know, it really chokes you up as a parent when you hear that because, man, you just you just don't know the things that parents go through just as much as the kids do. And uh, boy, it was just a just a wonderful, wonderful time in our family. Just a, it was such a positive thing for not just him, but his school, his community, his family, his brothers, his grandparents. There's just so many people in a small community that pull together, you know, for a, a kid that they know that they've grown up with when he reaches that level and he gets to see that success and they've seen the work he's put into it and the, the things that have come up that have caused problems or the things that have derailed him from his path. And he's always kept it, you know, on the straight and narrow and, and to see that happen and be a part of that in the field. Finally, you know, you can take a breath. It was, I can't, Travis, I can't tell you how rewarding that was. I can imagine. I, so Randy, I have a nine month old right now. And when she, grabs something or, or stands up it's i'm like fist pumping like tiger woods out there i'm so proud of just every little thing she does i can't even imagine what that's like to to get that phone call and and it's funny you, you know I, I we talked a little bit off air like i had mentioned and for the folks out there that listen to the podcast all the time you've heard zach's voice on the podcast because we put the press conferences on here we've talked to him before on the podcast I, I can't tell a difference between the, the two voices with, with Randy and Zach here. Now, now I said, I told Randy, you sound like Zach, but you told me what, Randy? Uh, Zach sounds like I do. Yeah, exactly right. The, the, the senior over the junior, though, you got to take pride in that. But, you know, we go back exactly. to, the, we go back to the, the pride mention, and I did some prep work before I had you on here, and I read an article from, from BigRapidNews.com where Ferris State head coach Tony Anessi said that while Zach was a consensus All-American his final two years in college, he rarely saw the field his first two years there, and he later said that Zach is both one of the hardest working and nicest kids he's ever been around. And, you know, you mentioned that he won't talk about the contract until it's official. He's very humble. I mean, that speaks just volumes about the fact that he's a Miami Dolphin. That's what we like down here with Coach Flores in Miami. But going back to that quote from from Coach Inessi, I, I mean, where did Zach develop that that hard work mindset? Like, where does that come from? Because obviously you raised him. You were part of his, you know, this whole football journey. How proud does it make you to hear that? And where does that come from? You know, it, it speaks volumes to a parent to know that others think of your child in that manner, because those are the things that, you know, every parent thinks their kid's going to be an NFL player or an NHL player or playing in you know baseball so on and so forth. And I've coached the kids in wrestling and football and baseball since they were old enough to stand. And we all realized that, you know, and I've been in sports my whole life as well, that every one of these kids are going to be adults. They're going to be fathers. They're going to be parents. And they need those skills to be successful and not just baseball or football because there's life after that. And not everybody makes it to the NFL. And if they make it to the NFL, do they get to, you know, to where they can 
you know, make a living off of it. So to, to instill that hard work, that ethic, uh, Zach's grandparents were, were you know, we're, we're a blue collar family, you know, we're hardworking, um, you know, you just wake up every day, you grind, whether it's at work, whether it's working out, whatever you're doing, um, you know, I'm self-employed and I can't tell you, and I would hope that this kind of reflects a little bit on his uh, character <clears throat> being in Southeast Michigan in the automotive industry, 20, 13 different opportunities. I failed at started businesses, failed at started stuff, failed at kept going, kept going, kept going, kept going, and finally got some success, finally got, you know, some progress, finally got some things going. And I think your kids see that. They see you getting up every morning, going to work, no matter what, no matter how hard, no matter the economy, no matter, you know, what we lost, what we gained, you know, the things we had to sell just to get the kids to school, get paid for their colleges, all those types of things happen. And even though you're not saying it to them, you live in that world, your example is showing through what you're doing. And I want to believe that that's what Zach picked up on. That's what him and his brothers all aspire to be is that type of person, because that's what they see every single day. Their dad and their mom working together, no matter what it takes to make the family successful and be able to do the things that we do. And uh, he, he's a very unique individual. Um, he, there's just, I can't tell you the number of people that just don't understand Zach because he's so different in so many different ways. You know, we just, you know, he'll come out to the ranch and put up a ceiling fan or he'll work, you know, you know, help cleaning up and doing whatever else. You'd never know where he is and who he is because none of that really means anything to him. No matter where he ends up, he just, he just works along everybody else. And he's a very humble kid. It's it's perfect you mentioned that because we, we talked again off air about this. We did press conference throughout the course of the season on Zoom because everything's virtual this year. And, you know, Randy, there was probably three or four items that came up <clears throat> throughout the course of the season where every single beat writer was like, I got to write about that. I got to turn this story around for print today because it's so good. It's so gravitating. It, it grips the, the reader right away. And one of those stories was Zach's very natural, almost like subdued revelation that he's a co-owner of Florida's largest free-range gator hunting outfitter. Now, you talk about deer season up in Michigan. You talked about, you know, all the hard work and the blue collar and and going out and hunting on the weekends and stuff, I'm sure was was done plenty in the Sealer household. Uh, how did the, the gator farm come to be? Like, did he approach you about this? Did you guys talk about it? Was it something he did on his own? How did the gator farm come to be? You know, we, uh, Zach's grandparents have had a place in Sebring, Florida for probably the last 20 plus years, his, his, basically his whole life. So we would come down here to spend time with them, to see them uh, over their spring breaks or during different Christmas breaks or whatever we had. And, you know, being down in this area is, is you know, everybody thinks of Florida as beaches or, or Disneyland type of stuff, right? <laughs> and being down in that Sebring, you know, Okeechobee area, it didn't take us long to start to figure out, okay, where, where are people that are doing the things that we're used to doing, you know, up in Michigan. And we came across a couple of places and people that we knew that were doing some hog hunting and some gator hunting and different things like that. And so we, we joined a membership at a, at an outfitter here locally in Okeechobee and the boys all came out. We started hog hunting, started doing different things. And then I think it was Zach's second year in Baltimore at uh and we decided to try to you know he's gonna have to get established somewhere someplace because i was sick of storing all of his stuff in my basement in my garage <laughs> you know <laughs> living in a camper is unique and it's it's you know 
But again, you know, we needed you needed you needed a place to be at some point. So we looked at some different properties to build a house and so on and so forth. Well, none of that really worked out. And we came across this opportunity where we could start this outfitter and create our own business and doing the things that we love as a family. And that's really how that kind of evolved. You never did get the house. You never did do any of those other things at that time. But we were able to secure this opportunity. Um, you know, in COVID, most families were doing different things, in, you know, in their house, quarantining, so on and so forth. You know, we've got 5,000 acres out the, at the ranch that we lease uh, where we have the main lodge. And myself, Zach, and his brothers, and a couple of friends from Ferris State, came out, we built deer stands. We, we cleaned the barn, we put up a cooler, you know, those types of things and just, just worked every day. And then he'd have to come home and train. And now I don't know if you're aware, but they had different monitors on the players and he'd have to do his Zoom meeting. And we didn't have cell signal out where we were at. So he'd have to drive into his grandparents' place and do his meetings. And you know, it's just, just, just how it evolved from there. And then, you know, being in Baltimore, when we established this and all of a sudden coming to Miami, I mean, you couldn't have written a better script for us. It just, you know, just absolutely amazing how everything fell together. And, and that, yeah, that's just, how it, just one thing after another, but you'd think it would have been planned, but we didn't, we just started doing what we thought we wanted to do. And, and things just came about this way. So I, I have so many questions because there's different avenues you can go off of that, but I want to first ask, you know, you talk about going from, from deer to gators. I, I, I'm curious is that a transition for you as a hunter? Is there new things you have to learn? Like what's the difference between hunting, hunting a deer and hunting a gator? It, it was such a learning curve for, for us. Not only just the culture of the people in this area, you know, it's it, in, in gator hunting, it's every emotion all at once. It's fear, it's anxiety, it's excitement. You know, it's, it's all those things coming in at once. And, and I, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the old Fred Bear song talking about, you know, teenage thrill seekers trying to reach for that next high. Yeah. I mean, that's about as, as, as great as it gets as a, you know, as a, as a, as an avid outdoors person to be able to do something like that, that hits all those triggers all at once. And, and man, we did it once and we, we were just hooked and uh, you know, it just took off from there. And, and Zach says he's part of it. Zach is 70% owner. He is, he is what it is. If without Zach, we wouldn't be doing this. I'm part of it just to help run the business side of it, but everything else is Zach. So I told you, Randy, I'm from the Northwest. I'm a city kid. I, I, I don't really go out and get dirty. <laughs> it's just how I grew up different, different background, but I do find myself like so intrigued by this idea of going out on the gator farm and going like going and, and doing the tour and doing the whole thing. But it sounds like I'm not cut out for it. You know, my wife is a vegetarian and she's raised three boys and been married to me for almost 30 years. You couldn't get any different. And, but she goes out there just okay. to see it, just to watch it, just to see things happen. And you just, I'm telling you, Travis, it's, it's nothing better. You know, we've had a handful of players come out in the past. There was a few that came out, you know, a couple of months ago and same for them. You know, they've never, you know, once it got dark, guys would actually say hey isn't it too dark to hunt isn't it but that's when time when you're getting started to go hog hunting yeah. and you know yeah. being from the city there's always a street light on there's always something glowing there's always something and you're out in the middle of nowhere you can't see your hand in front of your face sometimes now to walk into the woods walk into the palmettos where there's gators and snakes and hogs and all that other kind of stuff even if you don't see anything or be anything just that adrenaline rush of that whole time is just like it just doesn't get any better 
So I'm curious, you mentioned some of his friends, or I'd imagine, you know, teammates have come out and, and done the whole thing with you guys. Any any good stories from that you can tell us about? Like, because I'm picturing like, you know, talking about myself going out, like for the first time, it would be such a culture shock and such a kind of an adrenaline rush. I have to imagine, like, let's say, for instance, Raekwon Davis, a rookie defensive lineman, 23 year old kid that maybe yeah, hasn't yeah. been around that kind of stuff. Like, did, did anybody come out and like, have that what a Travis experience might be like, where they're like, Nope, no, sir, I'm all good. <laughs> We, we certainly did. The, the two running backs, uh, Miles Gaskin and, and Savon Ahmed, came out, and then Devon Godshaw was out there as well. And I don't remember which one of the running backs it was, but they went after a hog, kind of got scared, <laughs> nervous, backed out. But when you do that, the hog now will be will charge you. So this hog charged us. So you've got, you know, three guys over 300 pounds and, and two of the running backs, Miles and Savon Ahmed, and they start, the only thing squealing louder than the hog was those guys <laughs> trying to run and they're oh, running and pushing each other out of the way and falling on the ground. Uh, yeah, it was, it was quite a uh, exciting time for them. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I definitely want to do some kind of content thing with that in the future, probably a post COVID thing, but we got to get out there and turn this into a story and, and get, you know, get the Savon and miles running away from the hogs on camera and get that documented. Cause that sounds, that sounds like the best thing you've ever produced before on the network here. So we'll have to plan something like that. Maybe, maybe when things calm down a little bit here in the near future, but I want to, yes, I want to finish up with a football question for you, Randy, cause we talked, you know, about the kind of upbringing and, and where he is now, but what was this 2020 season like for you as a parent? And, you know, maybe you take away the whole like COVID aspect of it because that was such a, an overarching theme of the season, but to see him get the playing time, to see him, you know, take that playing time and run with it and then ultimately arrive at the extension. What was this year like for you as a father watching Zach play out there? You know, not to sound selfish or not to play downplay COVID, but, for my wife and I, you know, we have two boys that are playing football right now. One is Adam's or Zach's youngest son, or brother Adam, plays at Ferris, the same place Zach played. He's an offensive guard. So he would play on Saturdays and Zach would play on Sundays. So in 2019, we were watching games in college on Saturdays and then driving to wherever we could to see Baltimore play to have for Zach on Sundays. And what this year did for us is, is one, you know, every home game, thankfully um hard rock stadium was one that were open to the fans so we got to go to every home game this year we got to watch where we typically would have never been able to do that and not and then his brothers got to join him as well because the division two schools did not have a season at all this year so to be able to do that as a family come in there and and watch every home game was and then watch him you know have his best season and progress throughout that season he just I mean, it's just unreal. Just, it's just, we'd sit there after the games with our mouths open. It just, it's just hard to absorb the, uh, you know, we, we would, Travis, we would come to Baltimore, drive eight, nine hours to a game just to watch them stand on the sidelines yeah. with, a, with a clipboard, keeping track of the plays that the other players were doing. <laughs> now to see him play in a football game and see him make a tackle and see him be part of all those things, it was just surreal, you know, to see him part of Cam Newton and bring him down against New England. That was, uh, it was, it was hard to even realize it was real. 
and one of my favorite plays the entire season, the fourth down stop in the Arizona game. He was a big, a big, big factor behind that play. So, man, Randy, it's a lot of fun to watch him play. And hopefully, again, talking about a post-COVID world, maybe you guys come down to South Florida. I'll come meet you in the parking lot. We can we can have a formal introduction that way and uh, and, and meet in person, hopefully, one of these days. Really appreciate Absolutely. Would love to, Travis. That sounds awesome, Randy. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for doing this. And, uh, and get back out there and enjoy the outdoors, my friend. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. And you as well, Randy. Thank you again. There he goes, Randy Sealer, the father of Zach Sealer here on this Friday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Really fun guest there. And I'm telling you guys, we gotta get out there to that farm one of these days and or to the to the clay goalie outfitters and, and do some hog hunting, do some gator hunting and and watch myself get way more terrified than both Savon and Miles did in doing that. We've got plenty of more interviews and guests and content here coming up your way on Drive Time this offseason. I've got a Jim Florentine podcast, the comedian, the longtime voice on the show Crank Yankers, coming up here soon. A lifelong Miami Dolphins fan. He has some great stuff to say about his favorite football team. And I want to leave you guys with this for the weekend because as this week went by and I realized... There's no more football on the weekends. There's nothing to watch on Sundays. I mean, at least with the Super Bowl, we had that to look forward to all last week. But it's seven months away until football kicks back off. And speaking of crank anchors, and I, I had a tweet a while back about my top 25 TV shows of all time. And that was greeted with quite a bit of uh, eh, consternation from the fan base that think maybe my, my list wasn't that great. It was full of Breaking Bad, South Park, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Better Call Saul shows like that. So I've been trying to find some new shows that maybe folks haven't heard about out there. So if you like my top 25 show list, maybe you like these shows I came up with to get you through the next few weeks and months here post 2020 football season. My first suggestion, and I have watched this one front to back already, The Detroiters. It's a a Comedy Central show. Absolutely hilarious. If you've seen the sketch comedy show on Netflix, I think you should leave. It's starring the same guy, Tim Robinson. And Sam Richardson just absolutely kill it. They are they run a run a marketing firm in Detroit, and they're not very great at it, but they're hilarious. Highly recommend that show. Also, I think you should leave on Netflix. Staying on that Comedy Central track here, the show Corporate. That's a newer one. It came out a few years ago. I think there's three seasons of it. They just put the third season out, so a nice little binge watch for you there. If you're into comedy, that's my brand. So Detroiters, Corporate. I never got around to watching the entire series of Nathan For You. That was also a Comedy Central show, I believe. I'm going to get into that here over the next couple of weeks or so. And then lastly, Ted Lasso. Who can tell me about the show Ted Lasso? Because ironically, Jason Sudeikis is a producer, I think the executive producer on The Detroiters. Now he's the main character in Ted Lasso about an American football coach that goes overseas and coaches football or soccer over there. I'm going to check that one out, but you guys let me know on Twitter what you think of that. Give me any more show recommendations you got. Those are my four for now, in addition to my top 25 list on Twitter. Check all that stuff out. Check out the Blitz on MiamiDolphins.com. Check out the Audible podcast, the Fish Tank podcast. Got some fun stuff coming up with those guys as well. Give me a follow on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next week, we'll come back with you guys for more of the Drive Time Podcast with me, your host, Travis Wingfield. But until then, fins up.